welcome to the Use of Force podcast. My name is Phil and I will be your host and I'm super excited to launch this podcast finally after what seems like forever of planning. This is the launch or intro episode and it's just to give you an all give you all an idea of what is to be expected on upcoming episodes and who I am and why I decided to start this podcast. We'll cover a variety of topics here from weapons to training to politics but not in the standard way where we just cover announcements of what's going on. We're going to take a completely different look at things in a way I haven't really heard of any other gun-related podcasts touch on, at least the ones that I've listened to. So, could be wrong, but hope it'll help nonetheless. The use of force title is generally speaking, we will recover, we will cover primarily civilian-related topics. So don't worry if you are not law enforcement. If you own or carry a gun, period, this podcast is for you. But before we get into all that, I want to add a disclaimer. This podcast is not for the easily offended or quote-unquote snowflakes, as some people like to say. This includes you gun owners. Those of you who go around calling everyone else a snowflake on Facebook or maybe in person. But then all it takes for, for someone to say anything bad about some gun brand you love or gun you own and love and then you get all poopy pants and offended yourself. No one from the guys that swear by brands like Anderson Arms to the guys that swear by brands like Noveski will not be talked about and the thinking traps of those mindsets. That being said, disclaimer over. Now on to a little about me and my training and why I started this podcast. I'm an eight-year Army combat vet. I spent those eight years in the Army doing a couple of different jobs and special assignments, starting from being a weapon specialist, not to be confused with an armorer, and repairing or modifying anything in the Army's inventory that went boom, including handguns, sniper rifles, machine guns, mortars, artillery, the 242 chain gun, the main cannon of the Bradley, um, pretty much anything that yeah went boom in some way. I spent my combat deployment overseas as a gunner and backup driver for our MRAP gun trucks and all throughout Kandahar, running missions ranging from Quick Reaction Force, QRF, to scouting missions alongside the infantry and just being extra bodies and support for them. For the last few years in the Army, I went aviation and I was a Black Hawk crew chief and door gunner. In that time, I also became a certified marksmanship instructor for the Army to teach everything from CQB to long-range engagements. I got to meet and talk with, or taught by, some of the, some people like renowned sniper Staff Sergeant Brady, who runs things like the Army Pistol Team, who he was trying to get me on, but I unfortunately, my last contract was up, and I was not staying in. And he also takes the competitive sniper teams and helps them prep for the international sniper competitions like Top Shot and all that other stuff you see on the military channel. I also got to work with people who built uh, the custom firearms for SOCOM, Olympic shooters, and other just very knowledgeable people during my time in Iraq when I was a civilian. After the military, I started writing articles to share some knowledge of firearms, some of which got picked up by Guns and Weapons magazine, and I'm in the middle of trying to get on with Recoil magazine as well, but that's just been a weird situation altogether, so I'm not getting my hopes up there. I also spent some time working the retail side of firearms industry in Arlington, Virginia, 
and was a range instructor and competition shooting referee in Southern California. And that was cool since it was also where the Olympic skeet and trap shooting team practiced and SWAT teams from all the surrounding areas would come and train. Aside from working retail and as an instructor, my schooling is in forensics, which I worked in my local crime lab for a while, specializing in firearms. Surprise, surprise. And currently, I work in law enforcement. So between my time in the military, firearms retail, range instructor, crime lab, and law enforcement, I'm looking to bring a unique perspective on many issues and topics in the gun world today. Also, another main point is that we live in a time where the anti-police movement is insanely vocal, from the politicians to their base and their devoted followers, the police hate groups out there, which we have one of those hardcore anti-police extremist groups in my local area, and a majority of the mainstream media media supports this anti-police movement as well. Yet, cops all over the country are told to stay quiet, not share their views, don't let people know you're a cop, don't ever share your opinion on anything, and so on. So how is a pro-police movement that's continually told to stay quiet supposed to stand up to a rampant anti-police movement that's basically louder than ever before? Well, ask the high-ranking people up at the top, and they say we change people's views with our interactions with them and make them pleasant. Okay, first, we only interact with a very tiny percent of the population. And it's the same group over and over again, really. So a vast majority have never and will never actually interact with a police officer. Maybe, at most, if they get pulled over by highway patrol or someone. But even so, people in those groups or that in that mindset, you physically cannot change their minds. There's absolutely nothing you can do, and you could not be a good enough cop to ever get them to even consider changing their views. And you can read up on the psychology of why later, but just in our town alone recently, within this last couple weeks or so, we had a guy, one of those people that go out, videotape encounters with police officers in desperate hopes to catch them messing up, and they'll try to bait them with questions and bait them with actions and do all this different stuff to so eagerly tried to catch them messing up so they can put up this viral video. And there's just so much wrong with it and counterintuitive with that just in general. But it's hilarious to watch these people because it's a very particular group of people and a very particular mindset you have to have to be like that. And it's just, they're obviously, they're not the nice group, a nice group of people in any regard. And someone you should really spend your time with, police officer or not because of just the what goes on in their head to do things like that. Um, but anyway, he videoed a an encounter with one of our local police officers, and then it didn't go as he wanted. He didn't get the response he wanted. He wanted to get this cop all riled up and bait him, but it didn't happen. So instead of going, oh man, that was a pretty good cop, and he held his, he held his own, and He's smart. He was smart about it. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was talking about. Instead of doing that, he just goes home and edits the video to make it seem as if the cop had really overstepped and gone above and beyond and kind of lost control and made this encounter something that it shouldn't have been. So these are literally the people we're dealing with. There is no pulling someone over or stopping by someone's house during a call 
and just being super nice and winning them over all of a sudden. These people are literally out to get police officers and deputies. It's a small cult of people with extremist views on police officers. And there is literally nothing you can do. And as I said before, you literally cannot be a good enough cop. They are the ones that are convinced that if you wear the uniform, period, end of story, in any way, shape, or form, you are just a garbage human being. And it's just ridiculous. And that's why we have to speak up more and show the rest of the people out there, people that are a little more level-headed and have their head on straight and usually have a too good of a job to spend time doing stuff like this, that there are a lot of good cops out there. So that way, everybody from the police officers to the general public that's not part of the part of their little extremist cult looks at these people and just like you have something seriously wrong with you and the gears are just something's not connected in your head (laughs) because you are on your own playing field when it comes to what you believe about police officers and deputies but what will help is cops speaking up and holding each other accountable and speaking out when someone does something wrong If a cop messes up and accidentally shoots someone when they meant to tase and the public sees their local officers speaking out against it and what they have done to keep it from happening to them, it will go so much further than telling every cop just to keep quiet and be extra nice to your next call that you go out on. The point being, most people's opinions of the police are formed solely on what the media puts out and what they see on social media. We absolutely cannot stand up to those these people and make any kind of difference just by just staying quiet and letting them walk all over us. I'm sorry, but just being an extra nice and extra professional person on your next call will not do the trick. This is taking one step forward and two steps back. There's nearly 90% of mainstream media, the extremist hate groups, almost an entire political party and politicians in positions of great power all coming after us. We cannot just hide away in the attic while staying perfectly quiet and hope this all goes away and we somehow win the fight. It's not a realistic standard to have. And that brings me to this podcast for another reason, is to let people know we hear you, we understand your concerns, and a lot of us do care, and we are trying everything we can to make it a better place for you, not just by the good-for-nothing lowlifes who are trying to break into your cars, in your homes, but from the police officers that have their own issues for whatever reason, and they are taking it out on the population, or they have there's something else going on where they just lacked training or something. We do care, we do hear you, and there are so many of us that want to help, but we're not just going to turn over and let people trample us. So now that we have that down, we're going to start covering the main topic of this episode. In this episode, I want to touch on men and their egos. Why am I starting out on such a controversial and really odd topic? Well, because not only is it a huge issue that we are going to get into the psychology of, but it's hard, if not impossible, to teach egotistical people more about firearms and training who already think they know all the information out there that there is to know. 
A good example of this is a story that I heard. It's been a little while now. I don't remember where exactly I heard it. It may have been another podcast or someone from work. I don't remember. But anyway, it's this older gentleman, probably 50s or 60s, and he goes into a gun shop and he's shopping around and he's buying something, a new gun or whatever. And the guy behind the desk asks him about, you know, do you want me to run run through it with you or show you the ropes of it or whatever, la da 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 And the guy just replies, I've been shooting longer than you've been alive or something like that. What could you possibly teach me? And it's just like the insane amount of ignorance in people. And it's just their ego of like, first off, age. You cannot physically draw a correlation between age and shooting ability. And it's just like these people, these guys and their egos is insane and when somebody replies like that, it tells you everything you need to know about them. That one, they don't have any formal training of any kind, whether it be military, law enforcement, classes. They're probably going off of such outdated info and techniques. And there's more than you would could ever be willing to teach them, but they would never be open to it just because it's their ego is so out of control. It's insane. It's just like setting people up to take on the bullies, quote-unquote, of the gun world. And we'll get even more in-depth into that on another episode, too, because there are far too many guys out there with a superiority complex that makes them desperately try to find flaws with anyone they come into contact with. This is like what I was talking about earlier that will offend some people, those people being the ones with out-of-control egos that have completely taken over their actual decision-making process and rationale in general. Egos can drive what we purchase, and no, I'm not talking only about those who buy expensive things, why people avoid training classes, pretend to be at levels they're not, and just countless more things we'll cover as we go on. For those that are in or were in the military or law enforcement, you know that there are some mind-blowingly cocky and stuck-up people that are just full-blown egomaniacs and have no reason to be. A common thing here is officers or deputies that go into the job with the mindset that everyone that comes in after them isn't anywhere near as cool and awesome as them, and they have to prove themselves to be worthy enough for them to even acknowledge your presence when you walk by them in the hallway. They won't say two words to you your entire time there unless you end up on a call together, and even then it's so forced. It's just awkward. And it's also common when deputies leave the jail and go out on patrol. They go from cool and chill to stuck up and cocky because all of a sudden you're not worthy enough for them and their precious time. God forbid you try to even say good morning to them in passing. It's just ridiculous how people get. All that to say, that's all throughout the gun world too. If you're like me and a part of all kinds of pro-gun Facebook groups and pages, you get to see a lot of fun things and not so fun, including people who do and say all sorts of crazy things. We've all seen the standard people, the guy who's too cool or good for any formal training, the guy coming up with every excuse in the book as to why he doesn't need training, the guy trying things, desperately trying to set a new trend, I guess, but is really just just dumb and counterintuitive, and the guys who refuse to buy anything less than the most expensive, or the guys who refuse to buy anything more than the lowest quality, cheapest product or the guy that refuses to even acknowledge that the reason he's not shooting straight is a lack of fundamentals so he blames the gun or the sights 
there's a funny story, or sad depending on how you look at it, of people who send the optics back because they, quote, aren't tracking right. And rarely in the hundreds and hundreds of scopes companies get back over the years will they ever actually track incorrectly. It's literally just a shooter who was in the wrong. Still, they refuse to take a hit in any way to their ego, so they just push the blame onto something else, like an inanimate object they can't counter-argue, so they can keep going around and pretending to be at a proficiency level they're clearly not at. So anytime someone tells you they sent a scope back for not tracking, right, they likely just don't have great fundamentals. Naturally, every single guy that sent one back will hear that and go, well, well, mine was definitely not tracking, right? I tried it like a hundred times and had my buddy look at it too, and he said the same thing. And maybe you're right. You could have just gotten a dud, which happens with mass-produced products of any kind, but literally less than 1% of those who sent a scope back were right about it not tracking. And I'm sorry, not really, but when someone's shooting resume consists of absolutely nothing but, quote, been shooting for years, end quote, I get very skeptical of what they say and do. So many shooters out there will never reach a high level of efficiency and effectiveness or even progress at all solely because of what their ego is telling them. Men are literally known for having out-of-control egos as a standard for us, no matter what it is that's happening or being talked about. Firearms are no exception. It's actually one of the more out-of-control areas because guns are super manly, so certain people need to be looked up to by those around them in this area, so they pretend to be at proficiency levels they aren't at. And it's like drinking beer. Drinking beer is supposed to be manly. It's what men do. Men are supposed to like beer no matter what. I personally hate 99% of the beers out there. I think beer is disgusting and it's obnoxiously overrated and I don't understand it. I'm all cocktails, mixed drinks type of type of guy because there's 10 times more flavor and usually 10 times the alcohol. So I'm not sure why those get the bad rap. But it's when guys like, oh, beer's an acquired taste. It's You have to drink it like eight times and then you'll get used to it or whatever. And it's like, that. why is beer the only thing that gets that special treatment? If I give you a mixed drink and you tasted it and you're like, that's disgusting. I was like, oh, it's an acquired taste. You just got to keep drinking it until you like it. Or you have to drink it like eight more times and then you'll start to like it. You'll be like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm not drinking that ever again. But for some reason, we do it with beer because beer is supposed to be manly and what men do and what we obsess over. And it's just another one of those stupid things that makes no sense. Again, going back to the disclaimer, not a podcast for the easily offended. No one is safe, whether you swear by Anderson or Novesky or obsess over revolvers or hate them, want zero gun laws or for us to add more, you go through tons of classes or none. Or one of my favorites, the wannabe pretend John Wicks that load down every room of their house with five guns as they live in this fantasy world where they, for some random reason, someone's going to put a hit out on them even though they work a 9 to 5 at Home Depot and aren't, aren't involved in any sort of gangs or crime lords. But 15 guys are going to go and do a full-blown assault on their house any day now. And it's they're going to be running from room to room, grabbing guns and dropping all these bad guys. And somehow come out alive without any kind of professional training, of course. And it's almost like it'll be choreographed, where the guys will come in one or two at a time for easy killing. But in reality, they would just set a perimeter up, dump gasoline around your house, light a match, and watch as you died from smoke inhalation or the fire. 
Not saying having good home defense is a bad thing, but clearly it's a good thing to have, but you will always have those people that take it to unnecessary extremes as they wait for these crazy fantasies to play out in real life that they have in their heads. The crazy things guys' egos tell them to do. Whatever it is, we will be covering all those mindsets at some point with the ups and downs of it. Ego will never let you see the downside of your decisions. I love psychology, if you can't tell already, and we'll get into mindset and big traps people very commonly fall into. Let's look at the Dunning-Kruger effect, for example, which states, quote, The Dunning-Kruger effect is a type of cognitive bias in which people believe that they are smarter and more capable than they really are. Essentially, low-ability people do not possess the skills needed to be able to recognize their own incompetence, end quote. Basically saying it's a cognitive bias hypothesis that people with low ability at a task overestimate their ability. Being ignorant of one's own ignorance is the best way I've heard it put. It's like how 75 to 80% of drivers think they are better than average, which doesn't make much sense, does it? That means that 25 to 30% of drivers out there fully believe they are better than average when they are actually not even average, but below average. It's the mindset of the person who is a quote-unquote good driver, but gets to the end of a long on-ramp and still hasn't even reached the speed of traffic they are merging into, or the person that gets overly confused in all different scenarios of a four-way stop, the person in the left lane who's either so self-righteous they try to dictate the speed of other drivers to what they deem necessary at the time, because no one ever has emergencies they need to get to, or they are always total oblivious to what's even going on behind them in general. They don't see the line of cars stacking up behind them, wait to get through, waiting to get through, and so on. Well, this mindset is the exact same for firearms. The people can't see their own mistakes and downfalls, but everyone around them can blatantly see it with ease. This causes people to have zero training, refuse training of any kind, and still sit there and think they are super badass. And for the love of God, YouTube is not formal training. The same goes for those YouTube-certified medics. Medics in quotes, of course, who watch some YouTube tutorials, buy some pre-made medkit thing online, and pretend to be some battle-ready medic covered in medic patches, standing by waiting for something to happen. Please don't come running up to me to help. I'll do my own dressings if possible, especially because they are usually panic tourniqueters, which is a word now, that just throw tourniquets around on everything they see because they've never seen blood before, so as soon as they see three drops, they panic and tourniquets start flying. If you try to tourniquet me when I don't need one, I'm going to take it off and I'm going to slap you with it, because they hurt like hell when they are put on, and I will avoid that if an Israeli bandage or some other kind of pressure dressing will do just fine. You'd be surprised what they can handle and how easily those can cut down or cut off circulation as well. Many may have seen that video of Antifa all gathered around that one kid that took a rubber bullet to his leg, and they're all trying to help and dress his wound. If you haven't, it was hilarious. And I'm not just saying that because it was Antifa, which is just a communist gang of kids desperate to feel relevant and have a purpose in life, but the sheer panic in these people was mind-blowingly out of proportion. And I made a laundry list of the things they did wrong, some things more severe than others, we'll get to that at a later date. But my point is, you could just tell at the absolute lack of training and ability to handle a real-world situation where they're slapping a tourniquet 
used for the most extreme cases of blood loss and dismemberment, on a wound that had already stopped bleeding. But they'd never seen that amount of blood before in real life, so they just panicked. Not even the slightest bit of formal training was done in that entire circle of people. They were just absolutely clueless about what they were doing and were going off random YouTube videos that they probably searched around for at best the day before. And going with the YouTube training, anyone who has spent any amount of time in the military or as a law enforcement officer can look out into a crowd of people and go, he's YouTube trained, he's YouTube trained, he's probably military, he's YouTube trained, and so on. The gear is all wrong, things are out of place, car plate carriers either have no plates at all, or more commonly are just fitted wrong to the user, or they're the Walmart quality or styled LBV with the pre-positioned pouches that doesn't even let you really move gear around with that big zipper down the front. The gear is just in crappy placement that would suck to use in actual combat. The way they carry themselves and weigh overconfidence, which is, yes, a bad thing, and, and so on. The only people you might be fooling are other civilians who are doing that particular thing. And I would argue not even that sometimes. So as we go on, my challenge to you is just to keep an open mind, think about what you may hear, feel free to question it. By next episode, I will have the email account fully set up and able to receive emails. For those who have questions about anything gun-related or whatever that you want someone to answer, usually if I don't know the answer, I can find someone who does or bounce back and forth off of each other and usually give you a general consensus depending on what it is you're asking about. So to start off the next few episodes, we're going to be going over some of the biggest myths of the gun world that I have personally come across. And then right after that, we're going to be going over the biggest and just absolute worst mistakes you can make as a concealed carrier, or really open carrier too. I made a post about this several years back now just to kind of test the waters and it became actually extremely popular across Facebook. Some of you may have seen it long ago after it kind of went viral for a few days, but we'll cover a little more now and add some new updates to it as we go. That is it for this episode. just want to give you an overview of what is to come and hopefully put you in a better mindset to absorb information and challenge yourself to get that training, get to get out there and shoot more assuming you can find ammo and continually challenge yourself to get better and better. Hope you all enjoy your week. Get out and shoot and get those fundamentals down and I'll see you guys next time.